Welcome back to episode 9 of the AUENV 233 Dirt on Soils podcast. This episode concludes a two-episode arc on soil nutrient cycles by discussing the phosphorus cycle. This episode roughly corresponds to slides 42 to 61 in the PowerPoint for this topic. First, a word from our friends, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Phosphorus is the second most important nutrient for the productivity and health of terrestrial and aquatic ecosystems. Importantly, quantities of phosphorus in most native soils are quite low and most of it is unavailable to plants. However, ecosystems have evolved ways to maximize efficiency and recycling of this key resource. First, we should explore why phosphorus is so important. The key role is once again as part of biochemical processes for life. Phosphorus is the backbone of an organic compound called adenosine triphosphate, or ATP, which is a key energy currency driving most biochemical processes. Phosphorus is also a key component of DNA and RNA along with cellular membranes. Healthy plants usually have a dry leaf concentration of about 0.2 to 0.4% phosphorus. This represents one-tenth the amount of nitrogen. When we think about phosphorus from a plant development perspective, it is essential for root growth and interestingly, it is important for efficient nitrogen fixation. Deficiencies of phosphorus show up as stunted growth and darker green vegetation. Phosphorus is also mobile in the plant, so the oldest parts of the plant would be impacted first. Successful nutrient management requires a clear understanding of the cycles in which that nutrient is involved. We can contrast the phosphorus cycle to the nitrogen cycle, and the biggest difference is the lack of atmospheric component for phosphorus. In the cycle shown on slide 45, the various sized boxes reveal different pools of phosphorus, and arrows show pathways of phosphorus movement with thicker arrows highlighting principal paths. The only major sources of phosphorus into the soil are via decomposition of plant litter, deposition for atmospheric dust, and potentially amendments of fertilizers. The source for plant uptake of phosphorus in the so is the soil solution, which usually contains very low amounts of phosphorus, from 0.001 milligram per liter to one milligram per liter. This is a range of one part per billion to one part per million. The pathways to the soil solution come from organic and inorganic forms of phosphorus in the soil. At any given time, most phosphorus is actually unavailable in extremely insoluble formats. There are two different phosphate ions that are plant available, HPO4-2- and H2PO4-. And plants have specific pathways for these ions. Usually concentrations of both anions are not numerous in the soil at the same time, and the prevalence is pH dependent. In acid soils, H2PO4 dominates, while HPO4 does in alkaline soils. This makes sense if we think about the presence of more hydrogen ions in acidic conditions. Normally, phosphate diffuses very slowly through the soil solution, and plants have phosphorus depletion zones around their roots. The most common absorption pathway for plants is actually via mycorrhizal fungi, which help to increase diffusion of phosphorus by creating a larger network than only roots through the soil matrix. This exploits a larger soil volume. As we have seen, the symbiotic relationship provides sugars for the fungi in exchange for increased phosphorus. Let's consider the first of two major pools of soil phosphorus, the organic pool. 
The organic pool can constitute between 20 to 80% of the soil phosphorus, and most are in the form of mono and diesters. These are phosphorus atoms bonded indirectly to carbon via oxygen atoms. The majority of organic phosphorus is assumed to be produced via microbial breakdown of organic matter. Once again, this organic component is linked to soil organic matter. The major processes influencing organic phosphorus are mineralization and immobilization, a very similar process to what we talked about with nitrogen. Soil microorganisms are the actors here in terms of moving between unavailable and available phosphorus. Similar to nitrogen, the ratio to carbon is important for determining the direction and overall net effect. Ratios are much higher with carbon to phosphorus, with net mobilization taking place when ratios are less than 200 to 1, and net immobilization when ratios are greater than 300 to 1. In temperate regions, mineralization will release between 5 to 20 kilograms of phosphorus per hectare annually. This compares to the annual uptake of phosphorus by crops, trees, and grasses, which ranges from between 5 to 30 kilograms of phosphorus per hectare. The second major pool is inorganic phosphorus. There are two major groups, calcium-bound inorganic phosphorus and iron or aluminum-bound inorganic phosphorus. Each of these is dominant at a different soil pH, with calcium phosphate compounds in alkaline soils and iron-aluminum phosphates in acid soils. Once again, this drives home the point that pH of the soil is a major determinant of nutrient availability. Inorganic phosphorus is notoriously immobile, and this is one of the reasons why phosphorus has such low concentrations in soil solution compared to all other macronutrients. Two reasons that phosphorus is so immobile are that phosphorus minerals are not very soluble, meaning they do not break down in water easily, and that phosphate ions tend to adsorb onto the surface of soil particles and not remain in soil solution. An example of these fixation reactions that limit availability of inorganic phosphorus is shown in slide 53. Here we see the addition of soluble phosphate in A. At first, the phosphate ions are spread throughout the soil solution and readily available for plant uptake. After a short time, all the phosphate ions have reacted with the iron oxide crystal in B. Some of the phosphorus is still plant available at the surface of the crystal. However, over time, as we see in C, the phosphorus penetrates the crystal and availability is very low. Let's investigate the impact of pH on phosphorus a bit further. In slide 54, we show that there is a limited range of pH between 6 and 7 that increases the readily available phosphorus to about 20%. At other pHs, we see that most of the phosphates are bound up either by iron-aluminum oxides or calcium phosphates. Interestingly, soils with a high phosphorus fixation ability tend to limit runoff and leaching, which is good, but they also limit plant availability, which is not great. What are some of the controls to limit phosphorus fixation? They include soils with lower clay contents, specific types of clay minerals with less affinity for phosphate ions, neutral pH conditions, and increased organic matter. Given its limited mobility, how do plants actually access enough phosphorus for growth? There are several strategies that plants use to acquire phosphorus from the soil. The first is increasing branching of roots or root hairs to access different parts of the soil matrix. The second is to release specific organic acids and compounds to break down iron aluminum oxides and release phosphorus. The third is to directly exude H ions and acidify the area outside of the root, which would dissolve calcium phosphate compounds. The fourth is using enzymes to break down organic phosphorus compounds.
The fifth is to increase microbial activity outside of the root by exuding sugars and amino acids. These microbes then act to break down compounds with phosphorus and release it to make it plant available. A sixth strategy is to encourage symbiosis with mycorrhizal fungi, increasing access to a wider network in the soil. There are currently a number of challenges with phosphorus. Because fixation reactions are relatively limited, only 10 to 15% of phosphorus in applied fertilizers can be taken up by plants in the year of application. To overcome this, farmers who can afford it are applying two to four times the necessary amount of fertilizer that was removed in harvest. This continues to build up and eventually saturate soil capacity for phosphorus. This was helpful for soil fertility, but means we don't need to apply more until phosphorus levels have been reduced. The overabundance of phosphorus means that there is greater risk of runoff and loss into aquatic ecosystem. This can create problems with eutrophication as we discussed with nitrogen. The major difference is that there is more nitrogen leached and more phosphorus in runoff. In terms of the phosphorus contained, only a very small percentage of soil phosphorus is dissolved organic phosphate, but it is much more mobile. And agricultural soils contribute much more phosphorus compared to undisturbed forests or grasslands. When we consider all of this information for potential management, we can have similar approaches as nitrogen. A major need is to understand your system, what you are putting in and what is being removed so that you can avoid excess accumulation, especially in surface soils. When applying fertilizers such as manure, we need to balance the need to incorporate them into the soil with avoiding too much tilling, as that also increases phosphate loss through erosion. Overall, we can also attempt to avoid runoff and erosion in high phosphate soils. Similar to nitrogen, we can also ensure we retain or restore wetlands and buffer vegetation to capture some phosphorus before it reaches aquatic ecosystems. Finally, we could also tie up phosphorus with application of inorganic compounds to reduce surface runoff. A final comment on phosphorus, and something that is generally not known, is that unlike nitrogen, we have no artificial process for creating phosphorus. We actually still mine all of our phosphorus. The vast majority of mineable phosphorus is located in Morocco, and we are starting to see potential declines in this mining return. Once we run out, it is gone. At the current rates of usage, it is definitely not a renewable resource. Given this severe constraint, this makes much more effective phosphorus management an important goal. That completes our two podcasts on major nutrient cycles and biogeochemical considerations in soil. The next topic is soil classification, but given the number of video resources associated with those slides, there will be no podcast for it. I encourage you to explore the extra information included in those slides, though. Following this, we have two more expected episodes both a bit more applied in their topics, one on soils in the city and one on soils and land reclamation. Until then.